being extremely clever up here and there's no one to stand around looking impressed. What's the point in having you all? New chin. Blimey. And the antics and coordination of a drunken giraffe. His tenure saw the show explode overseas. And he ushered in the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Stephen Chapansky helps us discuss Matt Smith's 11th Doctor. On the April 17th edition of This Week in Time Travel. Right out the gate, I'm going to deviate from our carefully curated show notes because it's a really damn it, Chip. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's a really light news week, but I have a stressful life, and when I go to Twitter, sometimes I go straight to the happy, fuzzy animal pictures. You know, the pictures of otters holding hands. I look at other heartwarming things, images on Twitter, like, you know, our former president, you know, the good one playing on the Oval Office carpet with like babies and things like that, you know, heartwarming things like that. And then sometimes I hit peak heartwarming social media image, and that would be the image of a very, very happy Alyssa Frankie having just taken delivery of her Jodie Whittaker 13th Doctor cosplay coat. Hi, Alyssa. It's so pretty. It's so, so pretty. I just wear it all the time now. It's just my favorite thing. I love it. I swear, you could harness solar energy from the amount of beaming she was doing in those pictures. But we're not here to talk about the 13th Doctor today. We're actually here to talk about the 11th. And joining us is Radio Free Scarrow and Lazy Doctor Who's own Stephen Shapansky. Geronimo! Is that the word I'm supposed to say? I can't remember. I don't, I don't know how we introduce ourselves here. Do we have catchphrases on this show? I'm not too sure, but hello. Thank you for having me. Well, now you have a catchphrase. Yes, Geronimo. That's, that's my personal catchphrase that I invented just now. I never heard it anywhere else. TM Stephen Chapansky. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm sure that that was a phrase that never occurred anywhere else in the Stephen Moffat oeuvre. No. No, it did not. So glad to have you with us. You know, we usually start this podcast off with a lot of news, but like I said, there's not much. Uh, I believe that you have just released an episode of Radio Free Scarrow where you discuss the very same news that we're about to is that there was a signing at Forbidden Planet with a whole bunch of luminaries. <laughs> right. And that was pretty much it. That was it. Books were written and then signed. And that was the news of the week, uh, which which I, I commented on RFS to say that this is pretty much exactly as Chris Chibnall will want it. You know, no one knows about what's going on right now. They're making Doctor Who right now. That's the news. But we don't know anything about it. And, and that's exactly what he wants. It's all being done in secrecy so that we can be surprised come October uh, to watch um, the new doctor wearing a facsimile of Alyssa's uh, authentic coat uh, on screen. Yes, mine is the real one. Nobody else has the real one. Exactly. Does that, does that mean you are, in fact, the 13th doctor? Is Jodie uh, Whittaker a ganger? Yes, Jodie Whittaker is my ganger, and I've decided to give up her incredible life of being the 13th doctor on Doctor Who with her own TARDIS and sonic screwdriver to instead sit in a cold and rainy city and spend my day staring at our current president, Bloviate, on Twitter, because that's obviously the better life. <laughs> um, the Forbidden Planet stuff, though, it, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of news there, but it was kind of heartwarming to see, like, pictures of Jenny Colgan leaning in with Paul Cornell and 
Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat and everybody being happy and Davis and Moffat sort of being, I don't know, elder statesmen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of delightful to watch them just be happy and not stressed about things. Yeah, it, it's it's like they're enjoying public appearances for Doctor Who, not having to sort of provide sound bites, uh, you know, teasing about its future, that kind of thing. That's what I, I really liked. Uh, you know, I, I feel like Stephen Moffat looks even younger now. He just feels <laughs> like the weight of the world is off his shoulders. It's on to Chris Chibnall's now. And he can just, he can write novelizations of his own work and sign things about it and pose for pictures with other people and just be happy again. Yes, very much so. There was one photo that was not a happy face photo, even though it was kind of delightful. Uh, Davies and Moffat took a picture with Michael Grade, who canceled the show in the 80s, and they're just staring daggers at him, and he just looks kind of terrified. It was all in jest and fun, but it was really funny. I don't know why he was there. Was he there to get his book signed, perhaps, after all these years? I mean, this feels like the coda of the biography, (laughs) uh, the biopic of Michael Grade that's being made, perhaps, right now, that starts with him canceling Doctor Who in 1985, and then he's there (laughs) groveling for an autograph of the people who brought it back in 2018. This is his redemption arc. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. There is no redemption arc for him. I mean, he was pretty down on the return of the show, even in 2005, wasn't he? I think he came around uh, later on. I don't know when it was, though. I want to say it was during the Moffat era, but I blocked him from my mind, so I don't don't remember what exactly it was. Uh, But I guess everybody, everybody can come around again. Everyone can be good again. There was one other thing newsworthy that happened in the last week in time travel, and that would have been the sale of tickets for Gallifrey One's 30th anniversary in February 2019. Yeah, I got my ticket. Y'all got your tickets? I'm going Gallifrey One. This is my 11th year. Uh, We're officially past the one third of all the Gallifrey Ones (laughs) I will have been to, uh, which feels alarming because I can still remember the first one. And then the, you know... Two through eight are pretty much a blur, and then um, recency bias sort of like makes me remember certain elements. But they'll they'll be part of the blur again later on as well, and it'll just be one giant euphoric feeling of springtime in the middle of February um, once again. Come the next one, this will be my tenth galley, and I don't understand why they've gone to Eventbrite for ticket sales and everything is so much smoother and simpler now and the 50th anniversary frenzy has died down a little bit so we've gotten past the point when you know tickets were sold out within 10 minutes intellectually i knew that and still i was having anxiety attacks up to the point when i actually pressed buy tickets yeah, uh, every time Gallifrey One would post something in the event group, even though I intellectually knew it wasn't time to buy tickets yet, my heart just skipped a beat like, oh God, oh God, did I not pay attention? Have I missed the time to buy the tickets? But uh, yeah, that panic is probably never, ever going to go away entirely. But it was very painless to buy tickets this year. Although Future Chip is going to tell us in a moment whether or not the tickets have already sold out by the time this podcast is about to drop. Well, the Gallifrey One staff reported on Monday that within about 48 hours of tickets going on sale, the last ticket was sold. However, don't worry. If you still want to go to Gallifrey One, 
The transfer window will open up in December 2018, where ticket holders who realize that they can't go will be able to sell their tickets at cost to fans who want to go. Thank you, Future Chip. You're welcome, Past Alyssa. Boy, I sound really weird. (laughs) Must be the time differential. Oh. So anyway... Um, I'd like to. I'd like to know, actually, Chip. Were you wearing your uh, your coat during that uh, that um, future Chip moment, or were you not when you uh, came back in time to comfort us? Um, Are you us? making a sneaky reference to an Eleventh Doctor storyline? I quite possibly might. Why don't you elaborate on that in just a few minutes when we come back from a tiny little announcement to discuss the Eleventh Doctor? I mean, if you want to. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, that's fine. I can do that. Hey, everybody. Members of the Incomparable Network can now download our special year-in-review episode of our podcast, This Year in Time Travel, with Stephen, Erica Ensign, and Jason Snell. There's also a brand new adventure from Total Party Kill, months before the rest of the world gets it, members-only commentaries for the original Star Wars and The Last Jedi, and more. Just go to theincomparable.com slash members to sign up and check the boxes for any shows you want to support, including This Week in Time Travel. Thank you for listening, and thanks for considering supporting us. I've been hogging the mic a little bit, but I have to make one more observation. Stephen Shapansky, once upon a time, I remember... How much you adored Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. How taken you were with the 11th Doctor. What a breath of fresh air. What a revelation. How you couldn't take your eyes off of him. And then Peter Capaldi came out and you completely forgot who he was. Well, I didn't forget who he was. I was just... There's a sad thing about being a Doctor Who fan. That you absolutely adore the Doctor you have now. Hopefully, anyway. But... Then there's the uncomfortable amount of time where, like, oh, no, he's leaving. And that's the sad bit. You're sad that he's leaving because you don't know what's coming next. And so I think they announced Matt Smith's departure. Oh, like early 2013, I want to say, is when they sort of uh, let it slip that, yeah, he's not coming back. So for a good seven, eight months until August 4th, 2013, during the live TV special that announced Peter Capaldi, I was like, Matt Smith is leaving, but he needs to stay for more. It'd be just so great to have him beat Tom Baker's record because everyone wants someone to beat Tom Baker's record of seven years. And then, you know, once the 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 um, foofara regarding the the reveal of Peter Capaldi's doctor was starting to happen, and once once it became apparent that the the betting shops were closing on the Friday because too many people were were placing bets on Peter Capaldi being the new doctor. I thought, "Oh my god, Peter Capaldi's going to be a Doctor Who." And so I've I had to force myself to move on from Matt Smith because, you know, one must do that in life as a Doctor Who fan. And so at that point only did I sort of embrace the next doctor and and mourn the passing of the previous one. But those 7 months um, I were the longest months ever because I really desperately wanted Matt Smith to stay. And I was just hoping it was a clever ruse that he was actually going to not leave at the end of the calendar year in 2013 and stay on forever. 
Yeah, I had a lot of fondness for Matt Smith, too, when he first came out. Matt Smith was actually the doctor that I started watching Doctor Who live with. Um, Like, he wasn't the first story I ever watched of Doctor Who. That was a David Tennant story. But, like, there's something different when you're watching it live for the first time, and you actually have to wait to find out what the story is going to be instead of binging it on, like, one 24-hour kick. So that Matt Smith's Doctor was something very special to me. Um, And I just, you know, he helped really get me into the show. Like I was part of that wave of new fans who came in to watch it uh, in the United States during that big boost during his tenure. Uh, And part of it was that it was regularly appearing on channels that I could get access to uh, most of the time. And it wasn't coming out months after the UK had gotten it, uh, because I didn't know yet how to find television episodes that had mysteriously fallen off the back of a truck somewhere. Uh, And it was fun and interesting and new to be able to watch the show at the same time with a huge fan community behind it to react to it and come up with theories to it. Um, and, you know, I, I thought Matt was something just kind of delightful and wonderful. You know, for me, best Matt Smith is always going to be series five Matt Smith, which is very weird because everyone talks about how a new doctor always takes time before you get to like them. And I always tend to prefer like the second season of a doctor's tenure much more than the first season because uh, they need a little time to, to work out the kinks and figure out who their character is going to be. But it feels like to me, Matt Smith really nailed it from his first story Onwards, You know, his first story is one of my favorites of any Doctor Who regeneration story because he doesn't spend half the story sleeping. Like, first episodes... Yeah, first episodes for doctors, they're, they're not conscious for very much of it. Um, and he really sort of defined his character from the get-go. He was out there and weird and ridiculous and silly in a very delightful sort of way. And he was iconic from that very first moment. Um, so I, you know, there were there were some different issues and problems that I had with his tenure that I actually liked him less and less as time went on. And by the time he was ready to leave the show, I was kind of ready for the doctor to regenerate as well. I was like, yep, no, let's let's bring in another doctor. Let's shake things up, uh, get something different. Uh, but Matt Smith was, in a way, my first doctor. And uh, you don't shake the magic of the first time that you're uh, watching Doctor Who. Each new doctor kind of gets, you know, baggage placed upon them as the years go by. And you're right about that first season being sort of like magical because we, you know, he's completely innocent in our eyes. We, you know, we're experiencing things for the first time through his eyes as he's experiencing them as well. And then, you know, as series six and seven builds up, there's stuff that tie back into each other and he gets more damaged and dark and depressing and down a lot of the time and other D words that... Um, that are, are negative and such. And you're right. There is something magical about seeing, especially, you know, cause Matt Smith's doctor is kind of like a puppy dog and to see him sort of go through so much pain as through, as his time on Doctor Who, uh, continues is kind of sad. Uh, but we get to see him be full puppy in, in series five, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Fan conspiracies are all over the place, uh, all the time that, uh, when there's a showrunner change, Everything that the showrunner is doing is 
not only a response to, but sort of a reaction against the previous showrunner and the previous doctor. And there was a lot of that in the air uh, in sort of fan fanish received wisdom that the 11th doctor was supposed to be more remote, more alien, less uh, happy-go-lucky or than the 10th doctor, you know, and that the, that the stories were supposed, supposed to be more clever, less soap opera-ish than the Russell T. Davis style. I'm not sure, especially as we got into future seasons, I'm not sure that that was actually the case. How different was the 11th Doctor from the 10th, do you think? I think it was similar-ish in the 11th Hour. I feel like the 11th Hour is kind of like, uh, you know, robot to uh, the John Pertwee era, I think. It just kind of like a sort of a changeover from from what we kind of had to what we'll, we'll get. Um. I find it fascinating that, you know, it, it's 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 easy to look back at the 11th hour and, and go, oh, my God, this is such a successful debut and a great jumping on point for Doctor Who. But at the time, you know, three months previous to that, New Year's Day 2010, we said goodbye to David Tennant and everyone was, you know, from the BBC to fans were worried about how can we get better than what we just had. David Tennant was such a popular doctor and that, you know, that has almost informed how the the new stories are being told you know they they Stephen Moffat was you know needed to sort of say hey this is a new doctor please accept him and so instead of you know Russell T Davies you felt confident enough in his new doctor David Tennant to basically have him unconscious for 40 minutes uh in um the Christmas invasion Stephen Moffat puts Matt Smith right front and center to show that this is a brand new doctor um with you know but he's still wearing the tense doctor's outfit through literally the entire thing until like the last five minutes of the thing almost to say that this is still the doctor but he is going to be slightly different and i find i just find that fascinating and he literally walks through an image of david Tennant to sort of like with his new costume on as sort of a visual metaphor that he's sort of breaking that barrier down please accept him of course as as we've discovered his uh, apprehension was misplaced because everyone adored Matt Smith. And there was a huge you know, swath of David Tennant fangirls, I think, that at the time that were experiencing their first regeneration. And they were just swearing off this new doctor at the time. And, and I, I wonder how many of those people that, that sort of swore off uh, Doctor Who uh, actually did come back and, and watch it. Um, because uh, I think... Um, I, I think he, Matt Smith really embraced the role, and I think he sort of broke past the you know two youngish-looking British fellows as Doctors Who, and sort of became his own character. So I think if you're looking at it just from like as a casual viewer, I think perhaps it does show that they they are kind of similar. But I think once Matt Smith starts performing, uh, he's very much different. I think yeah. Uh, in terms of the actual plot, you know, I think it's actually just about as much soap opera kind of stuff as you do with Russell T. Davies. It's just a different focus of it because, you know, this is really where Stephen Moffat got his start in writing. You know, coupling is all of that type of interpersonal drama slash uh, comedy. And you see that a lot in the stories that he is telling as you move forward. Um, For the first 
two and a half seasons. It's entirely the interpersonal drama slash comedy of Amy and Rory's relationship, wedding, marriage, almost divorce, death. Like, this is a very soap kind of story. It's just not quite as expansive. And, you know, you have the family drama coming up. You don't necessarily have like, you know, what defined Davis's tenure was the mom in the background commenting on what their daughters were doing. What you have is really sort of a interweaving of a family in Moffat's tenure. You know, it's discovering that Amy and Rory are going to get married and they're going to have a relationship and they're going to have a baby. And that baby is actually going to be a character we've known all along, which is River Song. And River Song is going to marry the doctor and the companion is now going to be the doctor's mother-in-law. Like <laughs> that's Moffat's type of interpersonal comedy drama soap background. And that's the kind of stuff that he wants to do in his stories. So it's not really that fundamentally different than what Davies is doing previously. It's just a slightly different focus on it. I think, though, Stephen, you're right in that it's it's a lot of a clearing away. And, you know, this is what is looks like it's going to define the new series of the show um, and to an extent what defined the classic series of you have in robot sort of a, a clearing away of what has been coming before and we're going to move into something different. And, you know, those characters come back occasionally, but it's not quite as rooted in like the unit family storylines as has happened previously. Moffat sort of cleared away everything that Davies had been working on up until the point of actually retconning some storylines to say, like, you know, the next Doctor story didn't really happen because the cracks in the universe have swallowed up all of those stories that create inconvenient plot continuity problems for me. Yeah. Uh, and just really starting with the fresh slate. And it that sounds like that might be happening with the new series of Doctor Who. We will find out when we actually get series 11. But basically what these these reboots allow you to do is clear away some of the dead weight, clear away some of the continuity problems that you don't really want to deal with, which is a proud and long Doctor Who tradition. But it's it's kind of fundamentally the same story, just new people, new focuses, new things that we want to be talking about. I do think the 11th Doctor was pretty much as emotionally involved in all of the soap opera drama uh, as the 10th was, which I probably surprised some of the folks who had become tired of the Davis and Tennant formula. You know, it wasn't just a r romantic drama between Amy and Rory, but uh, the there was sexual tension between Amy and the Doctor, which came and went depending on Moffat's whim. At some points, the 11th Doctor is just utterly naive about how to relate in romantic relationships. And then he goes and marries River Song. You know, it's the people who were looking for the doctor to be removed and alien. It turned out that the doctor was not terribly removed and he wasn't so much alien as just odd. So I have a lot of feelings about the doctor and sexual tension during Matt Smith's tenure. Because it's one of those things where this is one of the real reasons why I started getting kind of upset with this era um, and what Moffat and Smith were doing. Because what you have in Series 5 is something that is very interesting in that 
Amy expresses sexual desire without necessarily an interest in a long-term relationship with the doctor. It's a very, you know, she very much wants a one-night stand and she's open and clear about what it is that she wants, which is really radical to show on television. But what you have when things move forward is a very one-sided kind of deal uh, where the doctor, apparently because he is naive, acts sexually towards other individuals in a very non-committed type of way, but which frequently ignores consent and is just frankly kind of terrible. You know, you have the doctor kissing Jenny without her consent, repeatedly slapping Clara on the butt in a way that is not consensual or really very sexy at all. So it's it's kind of one of the things that I, this is an aspect of uh, Stephen Moffat's writing and Matt Smith's acting that I uh, am very uncomfortable and do not like at all, uh, in that their sort of sexual humor and tension really goes to an uncomfortable place in treating women more like objects rather than people. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the implication is what they were trying to get across was look how naive he is. You know, the doctor is kind of like behaving as he would expect humans to behave. If you want, if you want to be completely apologist, you could sort of say, oh, it's just a, re- it's just a, uh, a reflection of how male society behaves towards women and stuff. But I don't agree with that. I, I, I there's a certain naivety, which is, it, it's, it's cute, I think, when it's the doctor trying to arrange things for others, like you know when he's uh, with um, young, uh, what's his name, the the kid from Christmas, oh, um, yeah, Christmas yeah. Carol, you know, like oh, you know now Kazran, and now I'd like to say goodnight. I say okay, say goodnight. I just stands there, and he just like clueless that they're gonna kiss for the first time, and then <laughs> you know that's cute. But then you're right. Then when he when he's sort of like trying it on himself, so to speak. Like I even don't think that he marries River out of anything other than well, this is what normal people do, right? They get married and stuff. Like he always kind of goes through the motions. Uh, there's that certain cluelessness to it that he's kind of been like backed into this corner. Think I guess I'm married now because that's what happens. And uh, you know he sort of talks a talk but does not walk the walk so to speak there is that certain nativity there but you're right it does come across very uh very iffy in this day and age which is odd because it was just like just a few years ago and it's it's remarkable how kind of dated that now seems yeah and i think it's something that people were definitely talking about at the time but it didn't really sort of break through the conversation like can you imagine that happening this year in the show? People would absolutely be losing their minds. But it's been a lot of hard work over the past, even just the past six, eight months to talk about this type of behavior in the show and really call it out for what it is. Because even when I was talking about it during season six and seven, uh, it was a very unpopular position to take because so many people wanted to equate being alien with this type of behavior, uh, as if it was just an innocent guy doing something because he doesn't understand it. But it's really the product of two men who live in this society and very much know what it means. Like you cannot divorce it entirely from the people who make and create this and what it says about what people find funny in that current day and age and even still to today. So yeah, it's an uncomfortable thing. But that was notes, very bad notes 
and otherwise some interesting stories that were going on. Um, to go back to Jenny, you had the Paternoster gang for a little while, which was just sort of this odd thing that came out of a bunch of different stories and coalesced into a gang in like a web episode that was uh, released and didn't get a lot of attention until like they burst onto the scene uh, in their own focused stories. Um, Every show would benefit from having a trio of Silurian, Centaurian and Victorian sidekicks. I'm just saying. Yeah. So he has some interesting, interesting teams there. You've got Amy and Rory, you've got Clara and the Paternoster gang. What do we think about those teams and how the Doctor worked with them? It definitely felt more like a crowded TARDIS uh, during Matt Smith's uh, tenure. Um, Hasn't felt anywhere near like that since and wasn't quite that way before, except for, you know, the big journey's end uh, moment. Um, You had a Doctor, you had a companion. But Rory was an important part of the mix from the get-go. You have episodes like the Demon's Run episodes where a crowd comes together. Um, The notion of, what was it, dinosaurs on a spaceship when you had Cleopatra showing up as and this random hunter guy, the Paternoster gang. Um, You know, this doctor seemed to thrive on having groups around him more so than either the ninth or the tenth doctors did. And... The dynamics were a lot of fun to play with. Uh, I think that Matt Smith benefited from having a variety of types to play against. And, of course, weaving her way through all three seasons is River Song. And uh, the chemistry between Matt Smith and Alex Kingston was unparalleled, surpassed only by one episode with Peter Capaldi later on, where I thought they (laughs) they killed it then, too. But uh, Matt Smith and Alex Kingston did remarkably well together. They did. I, I think it was, I think a success of, of Matt Smith's Doctor is, and this was intentional, I think, on Stephen Moffat's part, because he always thought that he liked having two companions because then what they, the two companions do is they all talk to themselves, each other, basically, about how weird the Doctor is. Whereas one companion, the Doctor's always talking to the companion and vice versa. And so with two companions or more, there's an extra layer of mystery between the viewer and the doctor now because now it's two people like sort of like saying boy that doctor's kind of weird and stuff what's going on with that stuff you can't have that when there's just one companion and so i think that um i, I you know matt smith when he was uh, hired to to be on the show uh steve moffat gave him a bunch of dvds uh famously matt smith gravitated towards the tomb of the cyberman dvd and thought oh my this is how i want to play the doctor just like this down to the bow tie like P- patrick Troughton's doctor in that is kind of what his blueprint was for the 11th doctor and how you know it's great watching that story now because you can see like Troughton sort of like mix mingle in the background doing stuff while the other characters are sort of talking and that's where i feel the strength is in matt smith's doctor when he's kind of in the background doing things, you know, still, still like not, you see him, you are 100% paying attention to him, but the main action is sort of happening in front of you while he's like doing other stuff behind you. And I think it's, it's the scenes where like when there's Amy and Rory and when there's a gang or a group with him is when he really excels because he's the focal point, but he's not the center of attention. And it's such a delicate balance that I think Matt Smith pulls off so very well that when in the later years, when it's just him and Jenna Coleman, Jenna O'Bee's Coleman, 
<laughs> it feels like the doctor is having to explain a lot, and he's become the center of attention. I don't think it's quite it quite works as well as when Matt Smith is able to sort of uh, be a little more subtle in his performance. Yeah, he, you know, something that defines his tenure is that he gets to be odd and ridiculous and weird, and then a group of people can engage or poke fun at him as necessary. And you kind of need to have multiple people there poking fun at his antics to make Mm -hmm. it to make it work. And, you know, I think the moment that really defines it for me is the Big Bang. And you have that moment on the roof of the museum where it's Amy and River ganging up to take the fez off his head, throw it and shoot it out of the sky like it's a clay pigeon. Like, That moment for me is sort of what defines what makes his antics work, that you don't have one person rolling your eyes. You have two people going, okay, we need to take the Mickey out of him right now. Here's what we're going to do. So that, I think, is sort of one of the reasons that he needs a gang with him. Uh, Of course, though, the most iconic gang that he ever got to work with was in the 50th anniversary episode, where he is up with two, possibly three of his former incarnations uh, to go back to the moment that defined the new tenure of the show, which is the Time War. What are your memories of the 50th anniversary special? Oh, that uh, that was an emotional time. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it wasn't just uh, the day of the doctor um, that that sunk and it was the build-up too and all the specials and all the reminiscing and everything else that was going on but honestly it was the sudden appearance of matt smith at the end of an adventure in space and time which just broke me just absolutely broke me because you know the look on his face i still can't tell if it's a doctor or a matt smith doing that, you know, that that look of gratitude on his face that he just somehow he doesn't say a word in that thing, but I knew exactly what was going on. Um it that, that's that's what really hit hit home for me. It's just how grateful he was to William Hartnell slash the first doctor for for starting all this. And so that kind of set me on onto a, you know, I got my I got my crying out then and I could just sort of go to the theater on November twenty third and just watch and be entertained and love it. And and just tying back to my my comment about you know Matt Smith doing well in in group settings because he could sort of fade into the background. You know, it's a it's a you know the beginning of the day of the Doctor is Matt Smith hanging from the bottom of the TARDIS as it's lowered into Trafalgar Square. There's there's no other bigger way you could become the center of attention in an episode. But then once he, the Tenth Doctor and the War Doctor are locked in and the dungeon, uh, like in what Elizabethan times, and what happens is is David Tennant's doctor and John Hurt start having a conversation, and Clark's there too, I think. And then what does Matt Smith's doctor do? He immediately goes back and starts, like, scratching things in a wall. You know, once again, he's doing something. We we can see he's doing something, but he's not at all the center of attention. But, of course, he's doing that to, like, basically send himself a message several thousand years in, in the future or something. I can't remember the exact details of it. I haven't watched it in a criminally long time. But that's what I loved about it is that he's he's doing the most important thing in the scene, but he's the least important person in it, which I think was just brilliant. I think he just found a way, found his pocket to sort of be in – the you know in the midst of of several different doctors kind of like Patrick Troughton found his way of sort of being the comedy foil to John Pertwee's doctor for the most part during the during his multi-doctor episodes yet still sort of being the most important person in the room Chip what about you 
as a devoted 10th Doctor partisan, the... <laughs> 50th anniversary special was really remarkable to me because David Tennant was fully himself and fully, you know, he inhabited the proportion of the screen that he was supposed to inhabit. And it hadn't been that long since he'd left the show. So there were still, you know, as you put it before, Stephen, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the phrase Tennant fangirls, but there were people out there yeah. who were still holding a candle for uh, the 10th Doctor who were glad to see him. But in this 50th anniversary special, Matt Smith rises to the occasion. He is more than a match for David Tennant and John Hurt. You know, he's he, he, he's magnetic. He is the focus of the story as it should be. It's the 11th Doctor who has the aha moment, who realizes that all of his previous incarnations were wrong, um, who delivers the retcon. And that's just that's just so Moffat. That is, uh, you know, my doctor is my doctor is the oldest. My doctor has lived uh, proportionately longer than any of the other doctors. He retreats that trope with Peter Capaldi in Heaven Sent. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to make the eleventh doctor just that important, and it works. It it absolutely works. The eleventh doctor and Matt Smith just the day of the doctor very much is his story and it it revolves around him and John Hurt and David Tennant are supporting characters and that's kind of really as it should be. I'm kind of with Steven that for me what defines the 50th anniversary is an adventure in space and time. Um, I watched that in a very uh, small dorm room with maybe four other girls and none of us had seen the first Doctor before. We had no idea what it was that we were about to watch. And all four of us were bawling our eyes out by the end of it. Like we were gone, completely gone. We had fallen in love with it. And that moment where Matt Smith comes on screen and just takes his hands and puts them on the controls like he is just ready to take the adventure on from here. Um, just 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 basically destroyed us. Um, so that to me is is really sort of my defining Matt Smith moment um, for the 50th anniversary special. Um, I have a very mixed feelings actually about the 50th anniversary special. There's some plot things and uh, some issues with how they use Clara in that story that kind of annoy me a bit. It's never going to be one of my favorite stories, but there is something delightful in seeing the torch handed on from one person to the next. Uh, because to me, that's really what defines Doctor Who. It's that you have people who are there, who are the Doctor, and occasionally they can come back and we can delight in seeing them back again. But we always see the torch passed on to somebody else. Somebody else comes to carry the show forward. I think one of my favorite moments is that quiet conversation that the 11th Doctor and the curator have when Tom Baker comes back as potentially a future incarnation, but also a past incarnation, because there's so many different ways to read that scene that you'll never find a group of people that entirely agrees on what that is supposed to mean. But it's a passing the torch in both directions, I think. You have someone who is an older doctor and has that face 
passing the torch to Matt Smith and saying, this is your adventure now. This is your story to carry forward. But there's also a bit of passing the torch back as well of Matt Smith going, you know, I may be the doctor now, but you were the doctor. Your stories brought me here and your stories can come back and still be relevant again and still be something that defines the show and brings people into the show again. So that to me is really sort of what I loved about his tenure in Doctor Who, that they very much defined it by Matt Smith carrying on the show at a time when people were uncertain that it could, but also being willing to hand it off to the next person and say, this is yours to keep going with now. Uh, And his involvement uh, in Peter Capaldi's first episode is something that I always love, that, that unexpected final appearance to say, this is scary. He's very, very different from what's come before, but he is still the doctor and I still need you to love him and carry forward with him. So now that we've covered the 50th anniversary, let's do a few lightning round questions. Let's start off by favorite episode ever from the Matt Smith era. Oh, boy. Um, I love Day of the Doctor. I'm going to have to go with Time with Angels, uh, Flesh of Stone. Flesh and Stone, rather. That was, um, golly, I don't think Doctor Who's ever done a better two-parter. That thing is just perfect from front to back. I love that story to bits. I'm going to go with The Doctor's Wife. Quite you a, stole mine, dang it. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, um, I'll, 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 I'll take Vincent and the Doctor then. I just stole You can only have one, one Alyssa. You can only have one. Come on. <laughs> he stole both my answers for both this question oh. <laughs> and the next one I was going to ask. Um, let me retreat really quickly back to the Doctor's wife. And then I'll defer to you on Vincent, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of The Doctor's Wife. I know some people find it overrated, but um, the, the language of it, the interplay between the Doctor and Idris, the, the use of goodbye and hello in reverse order, things like that, it just feels great. I'm a, I'm a longtime Neil Gaiman fan, but it feels so complete that quiet moment at the end when he is in the TARDIS control room underneath the console and he's talking to the TARDIS as though it were still Idris, you know, it feels almost like a movie, uh, the ending of a movie. Uh, And you don't get a lot of episodes with that kind of closure during the run of a regular season. So that that is my favorite Matt Smith episode. So I'm going to use my answer for both ones now. Um, But Vincent and the Doctor, for me, is one of my favorite episodes. I think it's something to me that defines the height of what Matt Smith's tenure can be, because it's him at his most silly and him at his most heartfelt. And that last moment, you know, how to take the end of Vincent van Gogh's life and turn it from something sad and terrible to something so hopeful and optimistic is just really quite incredible, uh, that they define the end of his life by his achievements, and they don't wash away the things that he struggled with, and they don't make light of his mental illness. But they say that 
the doctor and Amy can come and give him a happy, joyous moment to remember the impact that he will have on so many people's lives to know that his work will matter and that he will not be forgotten is is really something incredible. And it's just has so many beautiful moments that to me, it's it's really going to be one of the defining stories of Doctor Who. The next question I was going to ask uh, is the best episode to start with. And because the obvious answer here is, of course, the 11th hour, I was going to take a different tack and say, Vincent and the Doctor is a good one to start with. If you want to give somebody an idea of what Matt Smith's tenure is like without dealing with sort of the oddness of a regeneration episode, because the first story I was ever shown was a completely random story in the middle of a Doctor's tenure, as in this is a excellent episode of Doctor Who, and it doesn't need a lot of context to go into Vincent and the Doctor with. You can just drop right in the middle of this incredible story and see how good the show can be. So, Stephen, Chip, what are your best episodes to start with for beginners? Poor. Chip, go first, so I can think of one. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be just obvious. I adore the 11th hour, and it does so well. It is my favorite. It is possibly my favorite Russell T. Davis episode that was not written by Russell T. Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the perfect gateway drug to post-2005 Doctor Who, and I would say that it is a better first episode than Rose for the majority of people who would be new to Doctor Who. Um, I adore it to bits. Well, I'm going to say, um, oftentimes Christmas uh, specials are sort of made with a more general audience in mind, so I feel that's kind of a, a easy, more of a standalone kind of thing. So I'm going to say A Christmas Carol, which I think is uh, still the most Christmassy of Christmas episodes that uh, Doctor Who has ever done, um, and I think it's just it's just wonderful. I think we see all sorts of aspects of uh, of the Doctor's um, personality in that, from whimsy to uh, to poignancy. So uh, yeah, I'll go with The Christmas Carol. Wonderful. So, before we close out, do we have any final thoughts on the Eleventh Doctor? I feel like he's sort of the he's sort of been forgotten since uh, Peter Capaldi came in. He's sort of fallen into an unfortunate spot, bracketed by David Tennant on the one side and Peter Capaldi on the other side. At least in terms of like devoted fans, the general population, uh, especially here in the North America seemed to gravitate toward Matt Smith and possibly fall away a little bit from Peter Capaldi. He's a very populist, popular doctor. And I think that, I don't know whether it's because hardcore fans are more intensely devoted to the to the current doctor at any given point, or if they thought that the things that made Matt Smith more popular and accessible to a general audience were things that hardcore fans tended not to care for as much. But I think that fandom needs to reassess Matt Smith because he was brilliant. I think he was the face of the show when the show was at its most popular until perhaps now with the BBC, you know, leading up to the 50th anniversary. I think it was a big thing for the BBC to celebrate that. It was a big thing worldwide. And so and that isn't necessarily because of Matt Smith, nor is the relative um, not decline, but certainly decline from the 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 public view 
uh, coming off the 50th anniversary that Peter Capaldi was. Not, you know, Matt Smith was there, but he was also a big part of why it was so successful as well. Um, I, I don't know if he, I, I think he's still, you know, I, I look at uh, cosplayers at uh, at fan conventions and uh, it's still a lot of Matt Smith costumes, uh, perhaps because it's, it's, uh, it's very striking to dress like him. I think uh, a lot of people sort of see themselves in Matt Smith. I, I, you know, of all the doctors, and uh, I, I think I probably identify most with Matt Smith's character. There's a certain puppy dog enthusiasm that I kind of have for things that I, I, I can't tell, honestly, if I had that and I just latched on to Matt Smith because of that or because of Matt Smith's doctor, I became more positive about things. I suspect it's a combination of both. So in that regard, I think that Matt Smith's doctor made me a better person uh, and made me much more positive about life. And uh, and uh, for that, I'm grateful. Well, that is a wonderful note to end our discussion of the 11th Doctor on. So thank you, Stephen, for joining us to talk about Matt Smith's doctor. And thanks to everyone who's listening to uh, this edition of This Week in Time Travel. Which you can find at thisweekintimetravel.com if you got to us by other means. I don't know what those other means might be. Hey, we're on Twitter at DRWho this week. I'm on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord. Alyssa is on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. And Steven is on Twitter at Legopolis. That's Legopolis. Combining his two biggest fandoms. And Steven is also co-host of Radio Free Scarrow and Lazy Doctor Who. Hey, we're on Facebook too. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music, to David J. Lohr for our original podcast logo and avatar. We'll see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.